My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I hope everyone listening is doing well. Uh, If you missed the last episode... I would highly encourage people to check it out. I had a lovely chat with Jack and Joshua from the Adventure Game Hotspot where they gave more information about the Adventure Game Fanfare coming to Tacoma, Washington this July. Uh, So if you are in North America and you'd love to go to an Adventure Game conference in the United States, then you can find out more about that as well. We also hear how they got involved in the industry at Adventure Gamers and YouTube and how they started the Adventure Game Hotspot. And we also discuss uh, what is an adventure game. So uh, very worthwhile to check out. Uh, so that is last week. That is with Jack and Josh with the Adventure Game Hotspot. And now this week, I am delighted to say that with the permission of the organizers of AdventureX, so speaking of uh, conferences and speaking of AdventureX, uh, we were there last November, and now we've already had a few episodes. We've uploaded interviews that Matt Latham from the Ask Us About Loom podcast did with uh, the developers exhibiting their games there, and myself, Laura, Kieran, and Matt all uh, recorded our thoughts on the experience of AdventureX as well, so you can listen to those episodes. Now, I also did a panel, I hosted a panel at AdventureX, and I'm delighted to say that with the permission of the organizers of AdventureX, I can now upload the audio of that panel um, on this podcast. Now, you can see a video of the panel and all the other talks uh, at AdventureX on their YouTube channel, which I will link into in the show notes as well. And on this panel, there's uh, Tony Warner, Dave Gilbert, Charlotte Sutherland, and Tom Hardwich. Uh, all have been on this podcast as well, so I had a great time chatting to them on the panel. And they spoke about uh, how to survive as a solo dev. So uh, now, again, this was in a live environment in front of a live audience. We did have good quality microphones. AdventureX organizers did a great, great job. But as always, when it's live um, with different microphones, work differently so there might be some small sound issues i've done everything i could with my best to try and make the match up and make the sound as good as possible uh but i do apologize if uh there are some small issues with the sound if there's anything really bad please get in touch and please let me know where and i'll see what i can do to fix it but uh, hopefully it's not too bad hopefully people can still listen and enjoy it so i'm going to stop babbling on and uh, here is the panel with uh, Tony Warner, Dave Gilbert, Charlotte Sutherland, and Tom Hardwich on how to survive as a solo developer at AdventureX 2023. So please enjoy. No worries. Uh, so, uh, well, one of you guys could introduce yourselves and say what your names are for people who don't know and what was the last game that you guys worked on. Um, so, we'll start with you, Dave. Okay. Uh, I know this is. Alistair said this is one of the weaker microphones, so hopefully y'all can hear me. Sorry for my voice. I was out late last night, and um, let's say some great decisions were made. Um, I am Dave Gilbert. I run an indie studio called Wadget Eye Games. We're based out of Brooklyn, New York. 
Uh, we started up in 2006. We have released, um, either I have personally written or developed uh, and or published um, about 18 games since then. Most recently, uh, The Excavation of Hobbs Barrow, which came out almost exactly a year ago. Uh, thank you. I believe some of the actors are here and the devs are here, and there's actually a cosplayer here somewhere. Uh, there she is, there she is, there she is. Thomasina Bateman, right there. Um, and uh, yeah, we're currently working on two projects. Uh, we're working on Nighthawks, a uh, vampire game uh, written by Richard Cobbett, who I don't know if is here. Um, yes, there he is. And uh, Old Skies, a time travel adventure written by me. And so that's me in a nutshell. Okay, so I'm Tony Warren. I was co-founder of uh, Revolution Software. So uh, <laughs> Broken Sword, Steel Sky, that kind of stuff. Um, uh, the last thing I worked on, probably the last big thing, was uh, Broken Sword 5. But since then, I've worked on numerous Unity-based disasters, that some, of which have, some of which might come out, some of which won't. Um, I'm free of all that now, and uh, working on a, a game called uh, Wormhole Dungeon, which is it's, it's half adventure, half Metroidvania. So uh, we'll see how that goes. I once said at Revolution, never mix uh, genres. So uh, I don't even take my own advice. <laughs> Hopefully this works. <laughs> yeah. um, so I'm Charlotte Sutherland. Um, um, I started off in games quite a while ago, sort of working in AAA, and uh, worked on stuff like Sonic and All Stars Racing, Transformed, and uh, the Doctor Who Adventure games. And um, then in 2018, I set up my own company, um, working as a solo developer, um, and it's called Cave Monsters, and I released Lord Winklebutton Investigates last year. Uh, oh, sorry, uh, yeah. No, it was last year. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, it's just been, uh, had a physical release come out this year on um, PlayStation and Switch. Um, and I don't know if anyone would have heard of it, <laughs> but um, I've got the voice of Lord Winklebottom and Dr. Frumple here as well <laughs> in the audience. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, that, that's sort of so far sort of what I've, what I've worked on. So thanks. Hello. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I'll be overcompensating on the audio. Um, hello, my name's uh, Tom Hardwich, and I'm not uh, an indie dev by trade, so I kind of had a midlife crisis a couple of years ago, and that resulted in my first game, which was Lucy Dreaming, which was a point-and-click adventure game which released uh, just over a year ago. And stupidly, I've, after releasing that, I've just kind of jumped straight into making another game which is why I'm dressed like a complete prat today. Um, so come and, come and play it. That's, that's Hair of the Dog, and that'll be... Um, we're releasing the demo for that, hopefully, in the next sort of month or two as well. Thank you, everyone. Um, so I suppose my first question is about the game-making process, in particular of an indie and solo dev. Um, and I guess, what is your process? So how do you settle on an idea, and then put the idea, just begin to make the game then. So first of all, how do you settle on an idea to make a game? So how do you come up with the idea and decide which one to put it into the game? So uh, don't know, Dave, you want to take that? Yeah, I mean, um, some folks like have, you know, they, they conduct like market research to determine what's popular or whatever. Um, I kind of don't 
do any of that. Uh, mostly what I do is I just sit down with a notebook or, you know, notepad app, and I just sort of just do stream of consciousness, just like maybe this, what can I do with this? Maybe this, what can I do with this? And just eventually something coalesces. There's no real rhyme or reason. It just like, um, or, or there's no like timetable or anything like that. It's just sort of, I, I just sort of write my thoughts down until I find something I like, and then I kind of keep it in my head for a while because the thing about um, making games, uh, especially as an indie dev, is that it, it has to be something that you can conceivably stay with for several years. Um, and so you, I need to think about it for a few weeks, and if I'm not sick of it by the end of those few weeks, I figure, okay, maybe this is something I, I can stick with for, for a number of years. And then I cross my fingers and say, this is what I'm making, and um, that's kind of worked out so far. Um, well, I initially didn't really sort of have an adventure game sort of in mind. Um, I just started painting some fancy-looking animals, <laughs> basically. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I just did a painting of a giraffe sort of wearing a top hat and uh, looking quite dapper. <laughs> and uh, I felt like I, I did a few other characters, um, all in that kind of same similar vein. Um, so there was a hippo wearing like a bowler hat and looking very sort of uh, Victorian-y. And uh, after that, I just thought a story could kind of come from this. <laughs> and um, basically, sort of Lord Winklebottom Investigates was formed. Uh, so I was watching a lot of Sherlock Holmes at the time, um, as well as sort of Agatha Christie stories. So a lot of those kind of all kind of merged together. And I thought this sort of alternative sort of 1920s with weird fancy animals sort of doing detection and, and stuff. So and it all kind of just came together from that and had a story sort of built. So it wasn't like an initial, you know, story plan. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, it kind of was quite a natural sort of forming um, uh, sort of stream of consciousness, really. It just kind of came along from those initial drawings. So I kind of had concept in place and then based the story around that. So, yeah. Um, yes, I mean, I don't have, obviously have kind of huge sort of back catalogue um, that Dave has to sort of have, sort of have an average, I've had one idea, so I can talk about that. Um, but essentially, I kind of had, I, want, I knew I wanted to make an adventure game, and I knew the kind of games that I liked. I hadn't played a lot of modern adventure games, um, but I was aware of a lot of the um, different genres and themes and tropes that are kind of out there, and I wanted to make something that wasn't going to be kind of pigeonholed into any one particular type. So people weren't kind of go, well, it's a pirate game, it's a space game, it's a fantasy game or whatever. So it wasn't going to be directly compared to any particular title. Um, and that kind of, that's sort of what led me to, initially I was thinking about kind of storybooks and things like that and then led to dreams, um, which then is a completely flexible environment. You can essentially do whatever you want. And I did, and it's mental. Um, but the... A lot of the the kind of inspiration for that came from my my um, uh, son was when I started the development. My son was five, and uh, he ha always had really vividly relevant dreams. My wife does as well. I don't. I dream about any old random stuff. Um, but if you read him a particular book about something, or a, like a two books, if you if you read him a book about wizards and a book about apples, he would dream about wizard apples or apple wizards, 
And it's like, you could wake up in the morning, it's like, I had these, these dreams, wow, this is literally these two books put together. Um, so I had this kind of idea for the mechanism of the game um, based on this idea of, of being able to inform your dreams and kind of lucid dreaming. And it, it basically kind of wrote itself organically from that. Um, well, I mean, ideas are ten a penny, really. Uh, you can have loads and loads of them. So, I mean, you, you're going to have to commit to something at some point. I guess write it down. Can you write it down in two sentences? Does it still sound good? You know, sleep on it. Does it still sound good? Tell people. Do they say, "Oh, that sounds cool"? You know, and, and if if after a few weeks it still seems like the right thing, then you know maybe that's the one you, you're going to go with. But as Dave says, you know, you, you'd have to live with it for a long time. So. Uh, and those voices, you know, when you're halfway through this project in a year or 18 months' time or two years' time, and, and it, it's, it's at its maximum complexity, there's tons of problems, you, you can't see the end. You know, you've still got to like it because you've got to go. You, you've, got to, you've got to finish it at that point. So it needs to be good. You've got to like it a lot when you start. Um. Thank you. And then once we have the idea, a question that a lot of people, including myself, have is, how do you keep the motivation? Because I'm sure as an indie and solo developer, there are times when it might be difficult to keep going. Um, so yeah, so David, you look like you know, <laughs> you're ready to answer this. I, I struggle with a lot. Because um, I, I always think of it as, uh, you can have, think of your favorite movie in the world, a movie you love, if it was playing on repeat for, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Thank you. Well, no. All right. Um, yeah, if it's playing on repeat in your head over and over and over again for months and years, you will hate that movie. And that's essentially any creative project because you're always thinking about it. It's always in your head. And especially with game development, it's, it's just constantly in my head all the time. And no matter how good I think it was at the start, I'm going to think it sucks because it's on repeat in my head all the time. And what I always do, whenever I reach a certain point, either I, I, I design a certain point, I get something down on paper, or I get something implemented, or whatever, I will ask, I will get those ideas sort of either uh, tested. I will ask um, friends and colleagues and people I, I trust who, like, who, who are okay with like real jankiness to either play it or read my ideas and uh, ask them what they think. Like, is do you think there's something here? Do you get it? Do you understand it? Do you think it's terrible? Like, do you like what are your feelings? Because I always feel if I can generate an emotional response at the extreme prototype stage, uh, if they like it, then then they're then that sort of gives me the confidence to like add add everything to it, add the final art, add everything else. Because if they can like it when it's like sketchy backgrounds and you know placeholder everything. They're gonna really like it with with the final with the final art and, and assets. So it's about confidence, really. It's just constantly getting feedback, and that's important, especially with a game, uh, because you want to know if it's fun. Because everything will fall apart if it's not fun. And you could have this great story, but if the game isn't fun, then the whole thing falls apart. So I will always get people to look at it and give me feedback as early as possible. I mean, I do find it hard to sort of stay motivated sort of with stuff, especially when working on your own. Um, so I think it's kind of similar, really, to what Dave was saying just then. It's sort of getting other people to help motivate you in a way. So the more people look at something, even after you've, you've played it loads of times, um, you're starting to get bored of it and think, is this going to actually work out? And then you see some other people play it, 
um, potentially at shows and stuff like that. Um, so that, you know, strangers playing it sort of, and they, they sort of actually enjoy it and sort of say that they're looking forward to things. That helps to motivate you quite a lot, usually. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, it's basically sort of, I, I'm sort of usually filled with self-doubt <laughs> while doing stuff. So um, it's something where, yeah, I do kind of need other people, I think, to kind of help motivate me sort of in that way. And, and obviously just looking at reception of, of stuff and how, uh, how it's received, um, that really does help. Another thing, I, I guess, in the in the in the more corporate side of the games industry, they'll they'll push you to get to what they call a vertical slice, where you where you basically show everything, to, especially for publishers to make a decision if they want to carry on with it, you know. Uh, and and I kind of don't like that process because they're they're everyone rushes, and then you rush you rush your engine, your technology, and your tool set, and then and then to get to this demo, and they say yes or no. But at that point, you're committed to that code base because you don't have time to rewrite it. Um, so, you know, vertical slice is bad in that sense, but I think if you can, as a solo dev, if you, if you develop your game properly, but you aim to get to a sort of, if it's an adventure game, at least one screen, one location that's working really properly, and then you can make a judgment about, about, um, whether the game feels right at that point, you know, rather than doing a little bit of the whole thing and, and gradually filling the whole thing out. I, I think if, if you can get to one location and it, and it looks good and people play it and, and they say it's good, then you know you've got enough to carry on at that point, and that should be that should be a big inspiration. I think. Um, I had a a couple of sort of things that motivated me. Um, firstly, when it was just a kind of uh, my own hobby project, which is how it started out, um, it was very easy to just sort of well get very very excited about it, and then also just kind of go well, it's it's it, it's fine. I can put it down. No one's relying on me, and I found that doing a Kickstarter campaign, um, first of all, kind of made me, I didn't, I didn't necessarily promise people that I was going to deliver it, and there are, there are caveats, but at that point, there were a lot of people who were going to be a bit angry. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if I didn't actually deliver something, yeah, exactly, I, yeah, exactly, I didn't know I was going to make it. Um, so, yeah, so there was, having, having that, and actually having people um, basically, it, it was just me, so I was in my own kind of little echo chamber. So having other people kind of almost being like a client. So I kind of work in advertising and, and marketing as, as, a, as a living. So I then was able to kind of treat it a bit more like a client brief. It's like, well, I've got a deadline. I've got these people who give me their money for it. Like, I need to deliver this. Um, so that was, in kind of one way, that kind of helped motivate me because I knew I needed to get the job done. Um, and in terms of creatively, um, because... It was essentially just me doing the writing, doing the art, doing the design, doing the dev. Um, that was kind of an advantage for me because I, I had a sort of, I wouldn't necessarily recommend a, like a really organic process where you don't know what you're doing completely, which is sort of what I did. I wouldn't necessarily say that was a great idea, but what it did do is it meant that I was able to jump about from one thing to another. So I say, right, okay, I've got a little bit sick of this bit of, programming not working, so I'm going to do a bit of art now, and while, you know, I'll let that kind of mull over in my head while I do, you know, do some drawing, or while I do some, write some dialogue, um, and often I'd find that other ideas and creative thing, inspiration would come from that, so I'd draw a scene, and I'd draw something in this, you know, a bit of scenery, or, you know, a couple of objects that I, you know, 
saw in my head but weren't really part of the narrative. And I go, well, hang on a minute, I could kind of incorporate that, and that might help to kind of spur an, you know, an, another idea off as well. And being able to kind of jump about between roles really kind of helped sort of keep, keep it fresh for me. Thank you. Um, and so now we've settled on the idea or ideas, we're making the game. And another big thing for Indian solo devs is discoverability. Uh, so how to stand out. So are there any particular things that you Dressed guys... Dressed like an idiot. Yeah, for, for example, Tom. <laughs> Dressed like a character in the Charles Dickens novel. I think that helps. Like Gonzo. <laughs> So are there any particular things that you guys have done that has worked for you to help your games stand out uh, amongst the hundreds and thousands of other games? So just to begin, Tony, do you want to? Uh, well, I mean, this is, this is everyone's problem, uh, discoverability. Uh, it's literally key to it. Uh, and I think as a, as a solo dev, you're, you, know, you, you want to just sit there and making your game, but you're going to have to do things you don't want to do, which is like marketing and maybe even God help us advertising. Um, um, <laughs> I, I think as soon as, as soon as you feel the game's going to actually be finished, you, you, you need to look at marketing it, and that really just means talking about it, talking about it all the time. Uh, repeat yourself constantly, uh, Twitter, and, and uh, apparently TikTok is, is, is very good for this. And the good thing about TikTok is you can just throw any old crap at it <laughs> <laughs> every day. You know, you, you draw on two sprites, one, maybe one's better than the other one. We'll put it on TikTok and ask people what they think uh, and do that every day. Uh, and you think, you're, you think you're boring people, but they have, you know, practically no one's seen what you said last time anyway. Uh, I mean, I, I, mean I, did, I did the book last year, my book last year, and I, I mean, I, I thought I was talking about it far too much and boring everyone to death. And people that know me, that they, they, they come to me and I've, Six months after it was done, and say so they said, "Oh, you've written a book." You know, it's, it's, yeah, I've been talking about it constantly. So you know, you, you, you can you, you can you can do that. You can just whatever's happening, just just put it out there. Talk about it. Talk about it. And that's really half the job. And, you, and you've just got to do that because um, there's no other way. It really isn't. Uh, again, yeah, like he said, this is this is a, a big problem from every for everyone. Um, and admittedly, it, it's hard for me to answer this question because. A lot of my approach is based on the fact that I've been doing this for 17 years. Um, so a, a lot of my approach is based on the fact that there is an existing fan base and there is an, you know, uh, an existing demand for what we might be doing next. But even with that, there is so much. Like it used to, like 17 years ago when I first started, it was about like no one would take like a, a little dev like me seriously. Um, no one wanted to. No one wanted to write about someone like me. Uh, no one paid attention to someone like me. Now, um, there's just too damn many uh, developers like me. So it's just hard to get your, your signal through the noise. And a year and a half ago, I would have said the the best thing you can do is just tweet about yourself constantly. Um, now that's kind of sort of imploding, and I think a lot of uh, devs are kind of scrambling to find. Uh, another way to do that, I still haven't quite gotten there. Um, I have yet to do TikTok. Um, I, I don't know if like, do I have to like dance or something? I have no idea. Um, I don't think anyone wants to see that, or, or maybe they do, I don't know. Yeah, we do. Um, they really do. All right, well, you know, we'll see. Um, but, but generally, it's just the, the more you can talk about it, the better. I know even on Twitter, like, uh, like 
during sales and when I'm like ramping up for an announcement, like I, uh, I don't know where I heard this, but they say Twitter memory is about two hours. So I will like auto, I will schedule tweets to go out every two hours about my thing to the point where I think I'm spamming everybody. But then like it, it goes out every, literally every two hours for several weeks and people still tell me, oh, I didn't know this thing was happening. It's just, you just, whatever you can do to get the word out, it's, if you think it's too much, it's not. Um, there are, there's no right way to do it. And you always think you're leaving something off the table. Like I don't do Reddit. I don't really, um, like I know you can leverage your existing like Steam customers. I am not entirely sure to do that. I don't have a mailing list. I don't have a Substack. I, I don't do any of that stuff. I mostly would just did Twitter and that's obviously I need to find something else. Um, so yeah, it's just whatever you can do, like whatever you can do to make yourself stand out. And that is hard. You got to really find a unique selling point of your game. Um, a, a lot of, um, one thing I did learn is that you need to find a message about your game, something very unique that compresses well. Um, you need to be able to like try to get the message across of what your game is about in like one screenshot or like one or two sentences because uh, at any, um, any uh, venue that you market with, whether it be TikTok or whatever, like there's a hundred things competing for their attention. You need to get the message across very quickly. And that's something that took me a while to learn because my early games, like the screenshots, they don't really look like, they don't really have a unifying theme or atmosphere. It was just like, here's a living room, here's a park, whatever. Like it didn't really sell what the game was about. Um, and the game I'm working on now, which is a time travel story, I'm having that same problem because it's all scenes from different eras, but it doesn't necessarily say time travel. So if you notice screenshots I post, it always has a dialogue snippet of them talking about time travel because I want to sell the fact that it's a time travel story. So whatever you can do to compress the message is one of the more important things. So with my marketing and advertising hat on, um, essentially, I mean, yeah, basically exactly what you guys have said. I mean, it's, it's just keep, keep going at it. Um, but into, if you want to kind of be able to put a strategy together, um, it'd be thinking about your target audience. So what, what demographics you're looking at, whether that's geographic, whether it's um, ages, whether it's what, what, try and get inside, into the heads of the people that might want to play your game, potentially. So is it, you know, are they parents? Are they young people? Are they old people? Are they, what are they interested in? What are their hobbies? What are they, you know, things like that. Try and get into their heads and think, where are these people going to be, be, where are they going to be hanging out and what's their state of mind going to be in these various places. So when they're on Facebook, what sort of things are they talking about? What are they talking to their friends about? What messages might resonate with them? And then you kind of do a sort of a similar kind of reverse engineering with, you, with your game as well. I think exactly what Dave was saying about unique selling points, trying to think of all the different angles that you've got um, for your game, whether it's kind of graphics, whether it's the theme, um, the genre of the game, uh, particular characters, particular, you know, is it, is it funny, is it serious, What's, what are those kind of things? And then think, trying to build up a bit of a, a kind of cross-reference of like, well, how would I, you know, it does, could this message work with these people? Could this message work with these people? And some of them are like, you know, well, actually, no, that angle's really not gonna work with this lot, but can I turn it on its head? Can I, can I create a, you know, a different trailer or a different graphic which doesn't focus on this, but focuses on that? Um, and then kind of getting a bit of a, a matrix together which has all those in and, and trying them out, seeing, seeing what works. You'll post stuff on, you know, if you're posting stuff constantly, you'll see what people respond to, what people retweeting, what people are commenting on and go, okay, right, that, that worked. 
Um, I absolutely agree with Reddit. I found Reddit I just I just an anathema. I had no idea what I was doing. Boomy will dance on TikTok. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That yeah. But I think that's probably because I'm a marketing guy, and if anybody on Reddit gets a sniff of like you're trying to sell to them, you can piss off. They just do not want to know. Um, so I found the best stuff that worked on something like Reddit was posting um, clips about stuff that haven't worked, bugs, things that were just a bit shit, and everyone's like, "Yeah, this is this is genuine stuff." You know, as soon as, as, soon as you kind of you're showing yourself to be in any way successful or anything like that, everyone's like, "Nah, I'm not really not really interested. Show me more bugs." Um, so that was, yeah, I think that's, that's, yeah, my opinion of Reddit. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, we've, uh, with regards to sort of discoverability, um, it's one of those things where I'd never really used sort of Twitter or anything prior to, to sort of trying to, um, promote the game and stuff, so, um, I thought, like, the unique selling point would pretty much be, like, the fancy giraffe detective from the 1920s, and I tried to just go with that, and, um, and just see sort of like who would like it really. Um, trying different events as well. So I exhibited at like Adventure X actually in 2018, uh, sorry 2019, and um, that was uh, that was really good. Uh, actually no, it was 2018. <laughs> I'm getting confused now. Um, and um, it's it was it was very very early stage sort of demo at that point. Um, so I was trying to just see the gauge sort of what the response would be like and see sort of demographic and taking it to like other events as well that were kind of um sort of free to sort of exhibit at really sort of like insomnia um gaming festival which obviously not everybody is going to be the right sort of demographic there but it's good to kind of get an idea of the age ranges and seeing sort of who's playing it so if it's like parents kids like different ranges uh, age ranges of kids what what would wouldn't work and also sort of how you can tailor stuff to to the different demographics and um and then I just tried to kind of like concentrate on um, sort of the social media sort of for those those areas and, and see what would work, um, as well as sort of trying to help um, sort of, well, just to help with the whole marketing side of things. I did I did get some help from marketing, marketing teams because <laughs> it makes it much easier sort of when you're trying to juggle it all yourself. Um, so um, I think also just the natural, natural kind of element of kind of getting contacts at different events actually helps as well because it can help spread the word and get more contacts from other sort of indie developers and um, and then they can spread sort of the awareness as well. Um, but yeah, we've, we've read it. I did try that and that didn't <laughs> really work out for me. I've not tried TikTok or anything yet either. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Party on TikTok. Um, yeah, that's something I'd like to maybe try in future. Um, but yeah, I feel like I just need um, sort of a bit of yeah, a bit of help, I suppose, <laughs> getting the hang of that. So, yeah, if you do want to <laughs> join forces with that. Um, but, yeah, I just found, I found actually kind of like going out in person, though, to events actually quite good, um, um, just to kind of gauge awareness, like what it would be like. Because I, I, before I launched my Kickstarter, um, I, I took it to a few sort of smaller, like, events and local events, uh, just to see if people would actually like it. And then from there on, I, I kind of tried to, to grow sort of the, uh, the community from there. And so one other thing as well, on, on that point with the going to events, is one of the things that people love, like, or get, like, increasingly loving it is, is indie devs. So as if you're not a AAA studio, you have, use that as to your advantage. You can be more transparent, you can be more passionate, you can be more personable, um, you can show what's going on behind the scenes, and people love that. Being professional is a lot of work. Overrated. Don't bother. <laughs> 
thank you for that. So uh, we have them, we've got the ideas, and we had the um, discoverability. And another big thing for indie and solo developers is sustainability and funding. So uh, we can start with Tom this time, because <laughs> you've been last on yes. this list. So how do you ensure that you got enough funding for your game, Lucy Dream, and then we can go for everyone else? So how do you ensure that you get enough money to complete the game to make the game that you want as a solo dev? So I started, because it started as a, a kind of passion hobby project, um, I was going to make it in some way, in some form, uh, ultimately, whether that was going to be just a, like a half-hour game or, or whatever it was. Um, it was... It was probably more Emma, my, my wife and business partner, who kind of pushed it more into saying, look, if you're going to spend this much time like and this many evenings and this many weekends working on this, then you know it's got it's got to at least be worth it. Um, so that's when we kind of started looking at you know different funding options. Um, we spoke to Creative England and managed to get a bit of um, business development funding uh, from them. That was a, a relatively small grant, and we weren't allowed to keep any of that. But what that did allow us to do is hire. Um, a couple of other consultants who would then help would help us with our business strategy, which helped us in future bids uh, from UK Games Fund. We got a little bit of um, funding from the UK Games Fund, um, and then obviously we decided to to do a um, a Kickstarter campaign as well. Um, the main strategy with that, and I think where some people sometimes fall foul of of kind of Kickstarter more as a community rather than a platform. Um, is that they go, right, well, this is, this is what I really want, therefore I'm going to aim big, and I'm, this is my one shot, and I'm gonna, I want you know, this huge amount of capital. And actually, the way that we found success with Kickstarter was to kind of go, right, what's our bare minimum? Like, what could I make? Well, I could make it without, it, you know, just in English, with no voice acting, um, just kind of free music loops that I could download, and if I did that, I could probably do it for this. And that we used as our kind of baseline. Said, right, that's, that's what we're going to ask for. And then you go for your stretch goals, and then you say, right, okay, well, if we want to add voice acting, then it's going to be extra. If we want to add this, it's going to be extra. But you don't then have to worry too much about getting to the point where, oh, well, we almost hit this amount, and I suppose I would have been happy to make it without voice acting, but now I've got nothing. Um, so once you've got that bare minimum, then you can really kind of drive to, to kind of reach stretch goals. And it's making people want those as well. So we created a demo with voice acting that people loved in it. And then all the Kickstarter community who'd already backed us were like, come on, we've got, to, we've got to keep going. We've got to hit this stretch goal because we want it to have voice. It wouldn't it'd be crap without it. So keep it going. And that's what we found. It's like working out what our bare minimum was and just kind of taking it one step at a time, not kind of aiming too big, saying, you know what, actually, we're fine. Let's reach the next milestone. We've got enough to get there. Let, let's, let's not especially for a first game. I think if we'd aimed too big, if I'd known now how long the game was going to be and how much effort I was going to put into it, I probably would have stopped earlier on. Um, so my own ignorance and stupidity. Ignorance and stupidity, that's all you need um, to make a game. Um, yeah, just, just kept me going. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah um, basically, um, I still work part-time sort of as a, um, a lecturer in games design. Uh, at university, so I didn't want to kind of quit my job and sort of put like savings and house on the line and stuff like that, and because I know I know that can go one way or the other, and uh, I don't always feel that lucky, so I just thought <laughs> I'd go go for the uh, the other route. 
And um, so I wanted to keep something, uh, like kind of have the idea of having something fairly sort of small, like low budget in a way to begin with, um, especially sort of for the demo initially. Um, so the demo was, um, I mean, I, I did all the art and um, sort of visual scripting for coding. Um, uh, I used sort of royalty-free music for the demo. And um, I sort of had free voice acting, sort of because my husband <laughs> did most of the voices in that. And so that, that kind of worked out quite sort of cheap in that way for the demo. Because um, I didn't want to put too much sort of money in up front for initial demo and then sort of potentially lose out on, on too much there, um, which I then used for the Kickstarter. So um, sort of similar sort of to you in a way, sort of I tried to keep the Kickstarter sort of as low as possible so that it wasn't going to be sort of paying like wages for myself. It would just be purely stuff that would be spent on the game. So um, I wanted it, I, I sort of always from the beginning wanted it to have full like, full voice acting. Um, so sort of any any of the sort of money would have gone towards like voice acting and also getting like a composer and just thinking of like the actual things that you want to spend the money on, like the sort of definite, sort of a definite budget really of what needs to go where. Um, the only thing sort of I'd say is like to just be careful about sort of too many stretch goals if you were going to do a Kickstarter because it, it can kind of backfire on some people like a, uh, or if you've got too many sort of physical rewards and stuff. It's best to spend it sort of on the game. Um, and uh, like I said, I, you know, I didn't kind of pay myself a salary out of that. So it's just, it's just trying to keep it, the cost as, as low as possible to keep it as sustainable as possible um, and, and sort of spread that out over a period of time. Um, so, um, yeah, that's kind of like how, how I kind of managed initially. It's just, um, and, and then kind of, I actually managed to get some funding from Wings Fund to help sort of with um, sort of further development as well. Um, so that then just helped me to, to kind of like boost it even more so I could put more money sort of into the music, voice acting, and just sort of polish the overall thing and spend a bit more time on it really. So, um, yeah, that's sort of how I approached it. Live very cheaply. <laughs> These shoes came from eBay. <laughs> this all came from eBay. Um, as a corollary to that, uh, I asked when I first started, um, it never even would have occurred to me that like uh, that anyone would have given me funding when I first started in 2006. So I didn't even bother trying to get it. Um, I, I just kind of like was. Uh, I was between jobs, I had some money saved up, and I had made a bunch of freeware games for fun. And I decided, well, if I was gonna do this, it was now or never. And I had made a, um, a game called The Shiva for, for free, just for a little jam event. And I decided that, I had spent like all my time on it for about a month, and I decided that I was enjoying it too much to do anything else. And I decided I wanted to sell it, and I thought, well, you know, what can I do to like add some value to this? And the first thing I thought of was voice acting. And I, I knew a bunch of actors because I live in New York and I was part of an improv group. So I just like got them pizza or brought them over. Um, I, I think like the way I worked back then and when you're small and scrappy, you, uh, you can kind of get away with, um, you know, just working with enthusiasm if the project is tiny. And this was a tiny, tiny project. I couldn't pay a lot. Um, but it was a small, dinky project they spent, you know, it was like we spent no time on it. Um, and so I was able to kind of get things out because I, I didn't spend a lot of time on them. They all came out, like my first few games came out within, you know, four months, four or five months of each other. Um, and I was just kind of able to like 
you know, just get something out. I had very little money and time and experience to work with. But like with each game that came out, like I gained a little bit more attention. And then like as I was try would try to sell it, you know, just uh, um, and just try to promote it, you know, just contacting every like indie friendly YouTuber and blogger back when people still had blogs um, that I could find. And just like every little every little extra sale that came in, they would all come back for the next game. And so, and then I would just get another game out and then they would come back for the next game. And like, it would just very, very slowly grow. And then it reached a point where I like, uh, yeah, I couldn't just, you know, uh, I would actually pay people like what they, what they deserved um, because I couldn't, I, if games were taking longer to make, uh, there was a lot more effort being put in them, a lot more overthinking and just things got bigger. I started publishing other developers just as a way to kind of um, just sort of get more, games with our brand out there uh, and it's just a way of bringing extra money in for myself and just kind of keep the brand out there um, that uh, sort of was a uh, like a business decision that kind of became a minor cornerstone of Wajidai and it's something I love because I've worked with some amazing developers over the years and like, I've never gotten funding never done Kickstarter it's just grown very organically over the last 17 years. And at this point, like, I feel like it's got a very firm foundation where it's like, if I, I just feel very secure in that. Of course, never entirely. You always feel that no matter how, like, how long you've been in business or how successful you may or not be, you always feel like you're one bad decision away from everything crashing down. And that's my life all the time. Um, but I think like, I didn't start off intending to work this way. I kind of unintentionally fell into doing the smart thing, which was starting extremely small, um, and that way I could iterate, make my mistakes faster, learn from them faster, so I could then make more, and just grow very slowly, very organically, have a very, very firm foundation, uh, and that's where I am now. Well, the final question before we get to audience questions that I have, uh, maybe quickly, is how do you, because all of you guys here, um, four of you, have completed games, have you know finished games, so how do you guys know when to end development of the game? Because that is a big thing that I hear from indie and solo developers, that's a great ideas. So how do you go know when the game is done? If you can answer. <laughs> Most difficult question for the end. Tom, do you, <laughs> you uh, look like you want to answer. <laughs> for me, I don't think I would have ever known when it was done had I not set myself the deadline when I kind of did the Kickstarter. And even that was slightly flexible, and I ended up uh, postponing the launch because there was another kind of pirate game or something re released at the same time. Um, so I kind of postponed it for a few weeks. But apart from that, I pretty much hit the deadline that I was hoping to hit, and that's, that, was, that was solid in my head. If I hadn't done that, I feel I would have just tweaked and faffed about with it and added more stuff and removed stuff and, and second-guessed everything. Um, so, uh, yeah, my, I mean, my Kickstarter um, deadline sort of massively ran over. Uh, so it's a bit different from, from your one. But um, uh, so, yeah, because of life and various things like that cropping up and kind of getting in the way. Um, but um, it is one of those things where it feels like there's never going to be a point where you're like entirely like thinking, this is perfect. Uh, I'm just going <laughs> to release it then. Um, I, I was just initially sort of thinking of, I, I sort of need to, I have, I have the idea in place, I've got, I know what the ending's going to be like and I just need to make sure I kind of get get there to like the best quality I can do in that amount of time. So I did sort of decide to, like once I announced the launch basically, sort of, I thought then that gives you a good idea, 
like a full launch date on Steam. Um, a good idea of exactly when it will come out, so you can actually sort of um, sort of plan around that. Uh, it is really really hard though to to try and and just sort of think of an actual <laughs> proper deadline of like how long, because it is it's always going to go over and it's always going to get extended and things are going to crop up, especially if you're doing it solo. Um, things will just run over naturally, or like health issues, family things, stuff like that will just always arise. Um, so it has been sort of quite sort of well received in that way, sort of like people like Kickstarter backers and stuff like that. No one's sort of been angry or anything like that that things have ran over, um, which is sort of really nice and that's quite supportive and that helps you sort of gauge sort of how you can you can still keep working on it and and get it done by um, sort of the, the time you need to. But yeah, you're never going to think this is perfect uh, and there's going to be a, a set time to finish. You just need to go. Yes, I need to get this done now and finish it. <laughs> I guess with adventure games, you, you you need to constrain it, and you can do that by you know you say you've got fifty locations or something. So I mean that's that's going to stop it creeping. You know you're not going to keep adding another one and another one and another one. So if you plan it properly, you've got your forty or thirty or sixty locations. So that that constrains it, and then it's just a case of what what quality you're going for, and I guess you just keep working on it and working on it. Uh, I mean all of the revolution games were as ropey as hell until about two weeks before they came out. And so that, that made everyone very nervous. Publishers were like, like, this just looks awful and it's meant to be finished in a month, you know. And we're like, yeah, just relax. It'll be, if it's like the other ones, it will be fine. Um, Broken Sword 2 was, was literally, that was the only exception. It was literally to the, to the very hour that it was meant to be, like one year that they gave us and it was, it, it was finished on the lunchtime of the day it was meant to be. The rest of them were all months, if not years late, so... Um, when it, when you're happy with it, then it's finished. Yeah, that that's, especially when you're indie and you don't have a, a publisher um, breathing down your throat saying it must be finished by this day. It, it's sometimes very hard to like say, okay, it's done, or I need to finish it by a certain day. Um, for me, just how it's generally worked is that once I reach a point where the game is fully playable from start to finish, um, it's like I then I can. Okay, I could probably get it out by X day. I will never announce a release day, not even a release year, until I, I am almost positive I can I can hit it. Uh, I think Old Skies still has a release date of when it's done, um, but usually when I but when I do have that fully playable alpha, and I say okay, maybe I can get it out by October, um, and then I'll as I I start working on it and looking at bugs, and you've got to. It actually really helps um, concentrate your focus because sometimes you think, oh, like, wow, there's this, 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 this like inventory system maybe doesn't work so efficiently. But then you got to think, wait, like, I want to finish this by October. Is it worth potentially breaking the entire game to fix this? No. And you leave it and it's incredibly freeing because you're like, you know, people, you know, maybe the testers will report it. You're like, yeah, I know. I'm not fixing it. <laughs> and it's... It's you sound like a jerk, like saying no to one of the testers, but it's like you know I gotta get this done, and fixing this is a lot more complicated than it looks. Like I'm I'm leaving it. Maybe I'll do a patch after launch if uh, if. But right now I need to focus on getting it done, um, and especially when your like mortgage and livelihood depends on it. Uh, that also helps concentrate your focus to a narrow pinpoint. Um, so yeah, it, it's just whatever your priorities are. If you are. If it's not your livelihood and you're not relying on this to kind of like earn your living and support yourself and or your family, 
then there's less at stake, but when it is like supporting everything, then you uh, you need to make choices about what is what is worth keeping and what's not, what's worth fixing, what's not. Maybe you have to cut stuff. Um, there's like a, a section of old skies that I'm debating, debating cutting because the game is taking so long and do I need this last bit? I don't know. It would kill me to cut it, but I'm debating it. We'll see. Um, so it, that that's just what you have to think about when you, um, just to get something out the door. If only because like you want to get to the next project uh, sometimes and sometimes the only way to get to the next project is to finish the one you have. Uh, so again, depends on your priorities. <laughs> have to wrap it up there. Thank okay, you. yeah, thank you everyone Very for much. coming. And thank you everyone for the panel. Okay, so so that was the panel at Adventure X 2023. Uh, huge, huge thank you to the panel, to Tony, to Dave, to Charlotte and Tom. Uh, for uh, agreeing to come on to the panel. And a huge, huge thank you to the organizers of Adventure X, uh, Tom Cole, uh, Amy, and Alistair as well for hosting. Um, it was uh, it was a fantastic weekend. And Adventure X is generally just a, it's a highlight of my year at this stage. And I uh, hopefully we can go for many years to come. Uh, so thank you to all involved. And I hope you all enjoyed that if you were unable to make it. Um, I hope that uh, that will be some use to you if you're a solo dev or if you're just like me, you just wanted to enjoy speaking or listening to them speak. And uh, so, um, yeah, so that is it for this week. Now, this year, I'm delighted to say that I will be back at Reboot. And so I will hopefully do a little bit of a video and uh, show some audio. Hopefully the audio will be better than last year. We'll see what we can do, but we'll be doing something from there anyway. So more news on that and uh, more interviews and more reviews of Adventure Games coming up. Uh, there'll be hopefully an episode coming up next week and uh, coming up this year as well. So thank you for listening, everyone. Thank you for our support. Uh, take it easy and goodbye. Take care. <laughs>the adventure games podcast then please subscribe rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts please leave a review on itunes if you can as every review helps and reviews will help get the word out especially for adventure game developers who appear on the podcast now you can also follow me on social media you can follow me on twitter at Advent Game Pod. You can follow me on Facebook at Adventure Games Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram at Adventure Games Podcast as well. And we're also on Discord at Adventure Games Podcast. So if you are an adventure game developer or adventure game player, you can follow us there. So again, please feel free to retweet and share podcast episodes and the podcast to people who you believe may enjoy it and you can also find more information about the podcast on www.adventuregamespodcast.com so until next time thank you